Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Volume 2 of the Fatherhood Podcast Summer Sessions. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and as always, welcome. If you're a sports fan, you know that this summer has been dominated by the NBA news. Katie and Kyrie to the Nets, Jimmy Butler to the Heat, all things LeBron and the Lakers, and of course, Kawhi and Paul George to the Clippers. It's, it's a free agent period unlike anything I can ever remember, and in many ways, it's made this summer fly by. And that, that's only brought us one step closer to football season, which is great. Today's guest is gearing up to cover another season of the NFL. And even though he went to that school on Georgia Avenue, I'm happy to welcome veteran reporter and author Jim Trotter to the fatherhood. Jim, what's going on, man? What's up, buddy? It's not that school. It's the school. Well, you know, I'll give you a pass for today. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Howard University. For those who, have list- who are listening, Jim is a, an alum of, of, of the school up on the hilltop. So, Jim, thanks so much for, for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast, man. For those who don't know you, just give us a little bit of a background about yourself and in your career. Sure. I'm, I'm a California native, born in San Francisco, grew up in Northern California, uh, went to Howard back in the early mid-'80s. And after that, just started my journalism career. Started out a small town in Michigan, Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, went on to the Morning News Tribune in Tacoma, Washington. Then on to the San Diego Union Tribune, where, you know, after 18 years, I thought I was going to retire there. And, and along came an opportunity to join Sports Illustrated, which I did. And from there on to ESPN and now NFL Network. So been covering the NFL the last two decades or so. And... Um, it's actually been the perfect beat for me related to the topic we're going to discuss in terms of, of fatherhood and family because the schedule to me more than any other professional sport is more conducive to to raising a family. Absolutely, man. And let's just stay right there, Jim. Tell tell our listeners a little bit about your family uh, and your girls. Yeah, no, I've I've um I've got two daughters who this year will be. I always have to stop and count. I'm getting that old. But they'll be 28 and 26. Um, you know, been married uh, for 29 years, and um, we started our family shortly after that. And and um, I always say fatherhood is not only the greatest joy um, I've had, but also the greatest challenge I've had. And and you know, the one thing, at least speaking for myself, as best I could, you know, I wanted to get it right, and which meant being as big a part of their lives as I could. So the the time element and the family element was really important. And, and getting it right, man, going back 28, 29 years, man, after you got married and decided that you wanted, you know, start a family and become a father, who did you pattern your approach to fatherhood after? Like, who were some role models maybe growing up and, and man, you looked at and said, hey, this is who I want to be like? You know, truthfully, I, I can't say that I had that. Um, I grew up in a single parent household. You know, my dad was a part of my life, but he wasn't around all the time when I was young. So um, I didn't have that that father figure on it on a daily basis. And so my approach to being a father was more of 
Um, what did I feel like I missed out on as as a young as a young man growing up, and wanted to make sure that I was able to give that to my kids whenever I had them. So, um, really, in my life, to be perfectly frank, um, it was dominated by women for the most part, and even in college, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not college, but high school, and to some degree in college, um, it was black women who who helped, who helped raise me, you know, and, 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 and help keep me on the right path and put me on the right path. And how did growing up around women, man, particularly you ended up having two daughters, how did that help you out? Uh, a lot because you, you, you understand some, or, or you start to understand some of the things that impact them and their lives and what they go through. And you see things that, um, I'm not going to say you you would not have seen otherwise, but I think you're more receptive to things and more um, open to things and more aware of things and and how they affect women. So um, so yeah, so I think it carried over into in, in, into my life um, being a father with two daughters. Outstanding, man. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, talking about some things that you missed perhaps growing up and that you wanted to apply once you became a father. Just take us through some of those things that maybe you you didn't have growing up in that once you became a dad, say, hey, I want to implement this in my day-to-day role as a father. You know, truthfully, it was just being around mm. um, to experience all the highs and lows to... Um, to make sure that they understood that they mattered and they valued and they were important. So, um, and, and it's just time. It's just FaceTime, that sort of thing. Like truthfully, I remember one time I was, um, God, I'm trying to remember, like my, my youngest daughter played field hockey in high school and you know, she's a pretty good player. And, and, um, they were having some, uh, they were having a camp up in Northern California. One of the colleges was putting it on. And obviously she wanted to attend. And so I wanted her to go and I wanted to be there and be a part of it. The problem was I was on assignment back on the East Coast shortly before the camp was to begin. So I'll never forget, I, 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 I ended up arranging my schedule so that I flew home and arrived home, probably got home sometime after midnight and then had to get up and drive from San Diego up to Northern California, which is roughly an eight hour drive. Um, we had to go directly, you know, had to do it, um, at that moment, directly drive from San Diego up North and we didn't get in until really late at night. And and then the camp was the next morning and then you had two days there and then you got to drive back. And then all of a sudden you've got work responsibilities again. And, and, um, you know, physically for me, it was, it was taxing, but, at the same time, I knew how important it was to her and I knew how important it was to me to be a part of it. So it's just those are like little sacrifices that you make that, that otherwise you might not normally make. But um, I don't regret it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know how much, Jim, that, that my life has changed in the eight, almost nine months um, since becoming a dad last November. Now, you're OG. You, you're, you've been in the game for almost 30 years, but I want you to kind of turn back the clock a little bit. How did fatherhood change you and um, your approach to life back when you know you first became a dad? Really? I, I, I don't think it, it changed me so much. It, it, it was more that the time commitment, you know, mm-hmm. altered your schedule that way. Because for me, you know, my, my 
parents and family will tell you I've always had kind of an old soul. So I was I was not high maintenance. Um, I was not a party guy. I was not um, a guy who was out in the streets running all the time. So I was I was primarily a guy who was home, um, sort of to himself, that sort of thing. So, um, so so I you know it it there wasn't um, a big change when I had kids in terms of I had to cut out certain things. Um, I had already cut those things out a long mm-hmm. time ago. So it, it, it didn't really change me in that way. Again, it was just more of um, just making sure that I was there and that I was accessible and that I was um, supportive. But at the same time, um, how do I say this? Uh, tough when I needed to be tough. And as a dad, it's a little harder, I think, with, with girls than it might be with boys. Um but as I look back on it, I mean, we always we always second guess ourselves and say, mm-hmm. "What would we have done differently?" And I'm no exception. I have things that that I definitely would would do differently if I were um, to do it over. But um, I can't say that it changed me a lot, other than just making me understand that there were was something bigger out there than myself, and that I now was responsible for that. Great, great. So how did you, would you say that you evolved as a dad? Maybe that, that's a, a little bit of better angle to go at it. How did you evolve maybe from from year five to 15 to 25 and now almost 30? What, how did you, how did your evolution as, as a dad, what did that look like? Um, it was more, it was more of, it was more of, of, of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And mm. by that, I mean, letting them fail. Um, I'm a big proponent as I, especially as I get older, that, um, your greatest lessons come from failure than success. And, um, as a parent, you want so much for your children to be happy and successful and all of that. And so what ends up happening is, you know, when there are school assignments, sometimes you find yourself getting a little too involved. Um, because you want it to be the best. And you have to ask yourself at times, are you doing this for the, for your child or are you doing this to compete with the other parents, so to speak? Mm. Um, and, and this, this, this thing where you want your kids to be validated and feel good and, 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 and be perceived as, you know, the best, so to speak. Um, but what you find is, is that sometimes you can be too helpful and, they don't understand uh, what's really required to separate themselves and, and you know, to be um, the best that they can be. And, you know, it's no different in athletics. You know, I, I can, I, I, you just, you, you, you it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say, long story short, is that it's okay to fail. Um, and as a parent, you have to get comfortable with that and, and by, um, if you don't adhere to the principle that there are consequences for your actions in the long run, I think you do more, more damage than good when it comes to kids. Yeah. And that's interesting. Interesting, man, because, you know, when your girls are growing up, we, they didn't have social media. I mean, they didn't have the internet, you know, 24 hour news cycle and the idea of, of competing and, and it being, being okay with failure. That's something that, 
you know, in the social media era that, that my sons are going to grow up in, you know, that's going to be a little bit more pressure than to not feel and not keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. So how did you avoid, you know, falling into that trap of, of wanting to compete with people that you saw and what other parents were doing? Um, I don't know that I ever mastered it, to be quite honest with you. I think it's always something that you're you're grappling, you'll, you'll grapple with day by day, week by week, you know, month by month, year by year. Um, so I don't know that I ever grappled with it because you don't ever want to see someone essentially saying to your child, you're not good enough or, or um, somehow you're deficient. Um, but I'm a big believer that you have to be able to look in the mirror and ask yourself, did you do everything you could do to be successful? Yeah. And I used to say that to my daughter, you know, when it came to field hockey, um, you know, don't complain about things if you haven't put in the time and the work to be the best that you can be. And, um, you know, in this life, as you as I'm sure you learned growing up and as I did, our parents always stressed to us that there are no shortcuts and you have to be twice as good and and those sorts of things. And um, I'm not sure that I was as um diligent in, 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 in putting that message out to my kids, um, as my parents did to me, but, um, but yeah, so, so I think that that's kind of how I've all, how I evolved is that you, I kind of had to accept that, that, um, you know, there's only so much I can do. And as I got older, it got a little easier to say, I can let them fall um, and be there to help them get up, but still let them fall as opposed to when they were really young and, you know, you don't want to see them hurt at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking to Jim Trotter today on the Fatherhood Podcast. And Jim, with daughters, man, I'm sure there are some things that you had to deal with um, in raising them that, you know, parents of, of sons and boys don't necessarily have to deal with. And even still to this day, you may have to deal with some of those things. So how did you approach some of the, the parenting and fatherhood things that were specific to raising girls and even being a dad of, of young women now that, that some things they have to deal with on a regular basis? How do you deal with that and approach that from a fatherhood perspective? Man, it's, it's funny. I, I always when they were first born and whatnot, I wonder what it was going to be like the whole boy thing. And mm -hmm. w what kind of dad was I going to be? Was I going to be that guy with the shotgun at the door? <laughs> or was I going to be, you know, the guy who was more welcoming and put my arm around him and, and all of that. And um, the truth is it just kind of plays itself out. I never really had to, to deal with that when they were young. They, they, you know, my girls weren't doing a lot of dating when they were young and, um, one of the things that's fascinating about being a parent is that, you know, even though, you know, I have two daughters, but they have totally different personalities. Um, one of the things that was tough on me, I shouldn't say tough on me, but one of the challenges for me as a parent is trying to navigate that when you have two, um, two girls in the household and, and they are so different in terms of the personalities and everything else. And I'll never forget when I was a high school writer, when, um, my kids were really young, what I would do is take the oldest one, because we often had the mornings free, I would take the older one to the zoo. We live fairly close to the San Diego Zoo, and I would let her run around, you know, right before lunch, and then you could take her home and she could take her nap. Well, when the second one was born, they're two years apart, 
when she got to that age that she could go, I, I thought, okay, I'll do the same thing with both of them. Take them to the zoo, let them run around, they can get their nap at, at noon. And what happened was you'd have one who was ready to go and then the other one's pitching a fit and, and didn't mm-hmm. want one. So it's like, how do I balance this out? How do I make it work? Um, and I didn't always have the answer. There was one time I we walked out of the front door and the older one was ready and we're about to get in the car and the younger one decided to throw a fit. And I just took her back in the house to her mom and said, you got to deal with it today, you know? And, <laughs> and the older one and I went to the zoo, so... In no way did I have all the answers, but there are just so many little challenges that, that come out that um, that I look back on now and laugh, but at the time it wasn't so funny to me. So, so at this stage of fatherhood, Jim, do you look back and, and you know, seeing your girls growing up now, do you look back and just say, maybe, maybe I did do okay, uh, an okay job, maybe I did, got it right? Yeah, I think, um, I, I definitely think that. I, look, I was blessed that my girls never gave me... Um, tremendous headaches and we never went through some of the drama that I hear from some families. And, and truthfully, I don't, I don't take credit for a lot of that. I give a lot of that to my wife who, you know, um, when we, when our second child was born, we weren't making much money, but we made a decision that, uh, she was going to stay home with the girls. And, um, part of our attitude was what's the point of having children if someone else is going to raise them. And, and, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to put that off on anyone else. I'm just saying for us, that's the way we approached it. And so um, it came with sacrifices. We, Like I said, we weren't making much money, so we had to sell my wife's car. Um, we had to cut back on a lot of things, and it was tough. Um, but the investment early on of having th- that parent at home with the kids uh, 24-7, I think paid dividends. Um, throughout the process, because as you know, in my job, you tend to be gone a lot. You know, you're traveling on the weekends for games, you're at the facility for much of the day, and then even when you get home, you're never off the clock. So um, so I, I really think a lot of it um, in my story, uh, a lot of the credit goes to my wife um, in terms of um, the way that our daughters were brought up and, and the people that they are today. And, and my whole thing, again, was to be, to give as much time and support and and, um, and to just be there for them as I could. Yeah, let, let's actually stay there, Jim. You know, your, your, your career in covering the NFL, you know, you're gone a lot starting around this time of year, every year. You know, you got to get mentally prepared to, to be at the facility, be gone on the weekends. Not as much as the baseball guys and maybe to a certain extent the NBA guys, but Friday, Saturday, you're on the road if you're an away game. How did you balance or how do you balance your career um, in covering the league and being being present when you need be as a father? You know, truthfully, I don't I don't know how, how um, MLB and NBA writers – how they did it. I, I really don't. And, um, I just can't imagine being gone that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that man, that's, those guys have brutal schedules, uh, particularly travel schedules. So, um, what's interesting is that initially I fought, um, the, the, I fought it when I was asked to be an NFL writer. Um, at the time, I had been covering the um, NBA at large from San Diego, which meant we spent a lot of time up in LA and I really enjoyed the NBA. You know, I wasn't traveling like a a regular beat writer. We would do home game, Laker home games, Clipper home games, that sort of thing. And, and occasionally do um, 
some around the country type pieces. So it wasn't a true NBA schedule that I was on, but I really loved the game. I enjoyed the, the, the players and coaches and the access. And I initially said no when asked to cover the, the NFL. And then I had a, a, um, a senior columnist at the paper who I respected who kind of pulled me aside and said, look, you know, for your career, this is the number one beat in the sports section. And you really might want to give it some thought. And, and, and so I did. And, and what I ultimately realized is that it did work for me um, because typically I was home Monday through Friday um, and then a lot of times would, would travel to a game on Saturday and, you know, the games on Sunday and either get, fly home Sunday night or Monday morning early. So from that standpoint, the routine worked fairly well, um, particularly when the kids were of school age and, um, my wife could take them to school and, and when I was home, I could walk them to school on say Tuesday to, to Friday and so I was, you know, I was there from that standpoint. I wouldn't be there when I got out of school. So the schedule just worked for me in that way. That's why I say I couldn't imagine being an MLB writer yeah. or an NBA yeah. writer where, you know, you're gone for sometimes weeks at a time. That That's, man, that's tough. So what, if anything, Jim, have you learned over the years of covering the, the NFL about fatherhood, maybe some things you've picked up some from some other players or coaches or front office guys. What what is covering the league? How does how is that related to fatherhood in your opinion? You know, it, it's um, one of the things people always ask me who who's your favorite player to cover and that sort of thing, and and I always say to them, it's it's not what you think. It's not necessarily just the big name. It's actually the guys that you can have the real conversations with about life, about everything outside of football. And so to sit in the locker room sometimes and hear guys talk about um, their kids or um, family um, and the importance of that and things that they're trying to do to, to help their kids or, or that sort of thing. Um, it's, 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 I kind of chuckle for a second because it's just, man, it's so human. And, um, and to me, it's so powerful. So, you know, I, I think the problem too often is that um, these players get stereotyped and they get, you know, boxed into a corner and, 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 and the narrative out there is that they're this, that, or the other, when in fact, they're just like you and me. And when you take the time to really get to know them and that trust level begins to, to build where you can talk about things outside of football. Um, I find that to be really gratifying and you realize how much fatherhood and things like that, it really matters to a lot of these guys and, you know, the things that they sacrifice to one provide for their family, but at the same time that push and pull to also, um, make sure that they're there for their kids and, and that they're helping them to become the best, um, full body person that they can be. Yeah. A couple more questions for you, Jim, and I'll let you go. So when you're talking to some of the players, the young guys who may be new fathers, and obviously you're talking to me for this podcast or some 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 fellow writers, what what advice do you give young dads in terms of how they should approach um, this new role in life? You know, I, I'd speak from my personal experience and and I, you know, I say, look, if there if there are a few things that I could do differently, I said they would be this. Number one, 
I said, when they're of a certain age, I would make sure that they had a part-time job hmm. because regardless of how much money, you know, you make and, and you're the provider in the home, that sort of thing. Um, I realize it's important for them to understand the value of a dollar and the value of hard work um, and that everything is not given to them and that they must earn it. So if I were to do it over again, I, my kids would have had um, part-time jobs, nothing major, but just something to, to help them understand and, and really appreciate the value of earning a dollar, which is when I was young, again, in a single parent household where we didn't have much money, I can still remember now going out and when I was in high school and working as a dishwasher and when I would get that check and cash it and, and putting that hundred or two hundred dollars in and I kept it in a glass um, in my room and just being able to look at that money and understood that I earned it and and man it, it you know the the value of it. So that would be one. And then number two, I tell them that if I could do it over again, I would not buy them laptops um, until they were late in high school. And the reason is that with that is um, we we bought our kids laptops for the first time. I think they were in middle school. And prior to that, we had what we call the computer room, which is where we had a PC and it, they would have to, to sort of um, alternate on it. And it was the only place that they could go online because we didn't give them the smartphones and, and we could control it. Well, what happened when we got, when we gave them laptops, all of a sudden, they disappear into their rooms. And now that family time that you have where you're all together, um, it dissipates and you start to lose something that maybe I took for granted early on. And so um, if I were to do it again, I would say, again, it's just me, no laptops until they're late in high school and school assignments that they have can be done on, on you know the PC. Um, so those are the biggest things for me um, and again, lastly, understanding that it's okay to let them fail, to show them that there are consequences for their actions. So it's better to learn from those mistakes when they're very young than, than when they get older and, and there are true consequences or bigger consequences, I should say. So I think those three things for me, um, if young people were to ask me what I would do differently as a parent, those would be uh, the things. That's awesome, man, and great information. Okay, can't let you go without asking you a couple of NFL questions. The season's almost starting here in about a month and a half or so. Give you a couple of rapid-fire questions, and then we'll we'll be on, on our way. So 18 games, yes or no? No. Although, uh, for me, no, but, I'm, but I will say to you, I think ultimately it is going to happen. Um, and the one thing we've seen is that everything is negotiable, and owners are driven by money and this is a way to increase the revenue the thing that's going to be interesting to me in the whole discussion i know from a players association standpoint they talk about safety and is this good for the players health mm -hmm. but where the fight will come i believe is is over money because players will say um if we're going to do it we want more a bigger cut of the pie etc cetera, etc cetera. But I've had owners in the past tell me if they go to 18 games, they're not giving the players a bigger slice of that pie yeah. because in, in their minds, they already pay them for 20 games, meaning four exhibitions, 16 regular season, and that would just be a part of it. So I think that's where the fight will be. I think ultimately they will get to 18 games, even though I'm not a proponent of it. 
Um, but the fight will be over how, how that money is, it, how much more of it gets into the players' pockets as opposed to the owners. I'm actually glad you brought up the the injury concerns because that was going to be another question um, I had for you. Everyone knows your your relationship with Junior Seau and and his his situation. Um, by the time my son is eligible to play college and you know f- college football and NFL football, will will it still be around? Will it still be a thing? What's it going to look like in in 20 years? I think it'll still be around, but I have no idea what it will look like. Um, I think. Man, it, it's such a hard question to, to predict it out. The game has changed so much in the in, in the relatively short time that I've been covering it. You know, I remember when they when they talked about enhancing rules enforcements of defenseless receivers, and I thought I was one of those people that said, "Man, this isn't this isn't football anymore." You know, um, nobody wants to see this. Just put flags on them, and then you start to understand the real. Um, health consequences if you don't protect these players from themselves so and the popularity of the game hasn't waned because of it players have had to adjust and they have adjusted so i think that's what will continue to happen is that as they continue to make changes via the rules as they continue to improve technology as it relates to equipment um, I, i think you will see players adjust to the game but having said that I think there will also be a segment of the population that says, I don't want my kids playing. And that's understandable. Um, One of the things that's fascinating to me is that when I talk to active players and I ask them, will you let your young kids play? Many of them say yes. Although what they say is, you know, I'm I'm working this hard and doing what I'm doing so that they don't have to play. Mm -hmm. They don't want to, they can do something else. But at the same time, those who whose kids do want to play, I'm finding that they are keeping them out of contact football until much later. Yeah. Instead of letting them play in peewee and those sorts of things, they're letting them play flag football up until high school. And what they will tell you is that many of the skills, um, skill sets associated with flag football transfer into contact football from, from the standpoint of you can still run routes, you still have to, to cover you still have to break down when we talk about tackling. To pull a flag, it's almost more difficult to pull a flag than yep. it is to tackle mm-hmm. um, because you have to be technically sound. So all those sorts of things these players tell me translate um, to the game and, and that they they prefer to keep their kids out until they're older. Um, and, and I think we're going to see more of that, kids playing less at the peewee level and avoiding contact football until, say, high school or middle school. Yeah, yeah. Last question for you, Jim. Come come first Sunday in February, who are going to be the last two teams standing and why? Man, that that's that's a tough question now because I always like to wait until training camp's over mm-hmm. to kind of see what the injury situation is, um, how teams are, are gelling, that sort of thing. Um, look, it, j- just to make a wild guess here, the one thing you can always feel comfortable with is, is going with the Patriots and the AFC just because every year they seem to find yep. a way. Um, I'm a guy that grew up in the Bay Area, like I say, and you know, I never thought I would see uh, a dynasty like I saw with the 49ers who had 16 straight years of 10 or more wins, you know, which I thought was just, just mind-boggling. And now you look at what the Patriots have done um, with a guy like Tom Brady winning six Super Bowls you know, or appearing, I, th- I think, what is it, nine now they've appeared in? Um, 
that's I just can't yeah. fathom that. And so every year they're there. And, and I think until they're not there, I'll go with the Patriots and on the NFC side, um, man, I, I, there's a part of me that says new Orleans. Hmm. Um, I, I just, they were so close yeah. last year and actually I think should, should have gone last year. And I think they've only gotten stronger, uh, with some of the moves that they've made. Um, so I do like I like New Orleans. I think Chicago is loaded. Um, I think that had they had a kicker, had the Bears had a kicker last year, they may have, uh, uh, have represented the NFC in the in, in the Super Bowl. So I think Chicago is one of those clubs. I'm trying to talk my way through this and, and see which one yeah. I settle on for you. Um, you know, uh, let's see NFC East. I could see Dallas or, or Philly, NFC West. Uh, you talk. I think the Rams will take a step back, and I think the the Seahawks and the 49ers will take a step forward. Um, so, having said all of that, if I'm picking one team out of the NFC, I'm gonna say Saints. I'm gonna stick with the first team I said. All right, Saints. man. Oh, that, that that sounds good. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you go, man, tell people, you know, how they can find you, where they can read you, where they can see you on TV. Yeah. I, um, let's see. Twitter is Jim Trotter underscore NFL uh, TV, NFL Network and, and you know, the written word NFL dot com. So um, and then the next year, hopefully I shouldn't say hopefully, but once Larry Fitzgerald finally retires, we'll have uh, a book out with him the following fall. So. Uh, just trying to stay busy, man. Sounds good, man. Already looking forward to that Larry Fitzgerald book with Jim Trotter, man. Thanks for, so much for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast, man. No, this is awesome, man. I appreciate you having me. All right. I want to thank my man Jim Trotter for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast today. And as always, thank you for listening. This was the second edition of hopefully three uh, pop-up episodes I'll drop this summer. So be on the lookout for, for them and stay tuned to what, what we have coming up later uh, in the summer. As always, you can find this podcast on all major streaming platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and others. And you can find the Fatherhood Podcast on social media at the Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram. And you can like the Fatherhood Podcast page. So until next time, as always, thank you for listening. I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is The Fatherhood. <laughs>